Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to John chapter 14. Last night I I said I don't remember how long I've been in John. And so I found a note on my door. Yeah. That said I have, and I appreciate it, it said I have been in it two years, three months. So uh, if you're new today, that may be warning to you. said, oh my goodness. And we're in John chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 27. Why, why do we do this? We're, we're going through the Bible. Uh, I'm going through it as fast as I can uh, because the problem is I don't know, what, I don't understand what I'm reading either. And I, ha, come on, let's admit it. Don't we so often read through the Bible and we go, well, I know what that means and, and, I, and I know what that means over there. And that all sounds really pretty or really powerful. I'm sure it's cool. But I could, if you if a if a if a six year old said, "What's that mean?" I, I couldn't possibly tell him, you know. Just like, well, and I got tired of doing that. I just got tired of going over stuff I didn't know what it meant. And I so I said, "Let's slow this down till I couldn't understand." And so that's why it's taken two years, three months to get to chapter fourteen. I'm I'm learning at that rate, and then I explain to you what I've just learned. It's as, it's as simple as that. Now, today, it's, there is, there's, a, there's a deep ministry point, but there's also a lot of learning here. Um, somebody pointed that out also to me this morning. I do, I teach you. Um, I know that. Uh, and I actually, I, cra- I cram in as much not <laughs> learning as I can that I think you'll tolerate, and I also have the sermon. But I, 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 what I'm doing, I think we need to know what we believe. Yes. I think the truth sets us free. And I think it heals us. I think it builds a foundation for us so we're not shaken by the world around us. If many of these questions go unanswered, we, we left, we're left confused. We're left vulnerable. We're left vulnerable to deception. Usually most, most false things, most false theology is an overemphasis on a neglected truth. Did you hear that? I didn't make it up. That's, that's a, that's a, uh, it's an overemphasis on a neglected truth. Something gets neglected and they overdo it. So the whole sense of knowing what we believe, knowing who Jesus is, and we're going to look at that today and who the Father is, understanding these things, it's what the Word really says, just, just, just straight on, what does it say? It settles us. And the God we meet is a, is, a, is a beautiful, beautiful Lord. And He's kind and He's good and He's pure. And, and there's something about it that just gives us a foundation that we can walk through unshaken. So Lord, do that in us today. Open our ears and eyes. Soften our hearts. We, we would hear your voice. We would see the things you want to show us. And we would present to you soft hearts. That which is your word, we would obey. We want to believe and obey you. That which is not, Lord, we just turn aside from it. And I pray for the grace to get out of the way. Jesus, you're our teacher. You're our Lord. We want to see you. Empower us today to see you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. John 14, I'll start in verse 27. Just, just a reminder, we are, uh, this, 
John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all spoken on one evening. They're spoken, um, much of it, in the upper room. In fact, I'm going to bring you today to the end of the time in the upper room, and then Jesus actually goes out into the night. And I'll show you what that is and where it is. Uh, but these things are spoken in the upper room, the night in which Jesus was betrayed, by about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, somewhere like that. He'll be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the religious police, basically from the temple along with some of the priests, will come to arrest him. And then starts 24 hours of absolute horror uh, in which he's put through false trials, he's beaten, and, and I won't go through the whole description, and end up crucified and dying about 3 o'clock the next, the next day. Um, and so that's all about to start. But these are his last words. These are, these are him preparing his disciples for his departure and for the season ahead. He says, I'm coming back, but he's coming back primarily spiritually. I mean, he'll come back for 40 days and appear to them but he's going to come back to them as in, in the spirit. He, as their flesh and blood rabbi, teaching them and walking them through the days and being with them, he is now departing. And so these are his, his, his instructions and his preparation for them. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Not my peace, pardon me, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Whatever version you have there, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Would you read it out loud with me? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You, then I'll go on. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Would you say the Father is greater than I? The yeah. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Say, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And then as I said, he says to them, get up, let us go from here. And at that point, they, will, they leave that upper room. Today we're talking about created for authority. God is a generous God. He wants to share his authority. But only with a certain kind of person. His son and those who are like his son. If he were to give his authority to anyone else, they would use it for things that are not his will, which means he would be assisting them to do things that are harmful. And of course, he can never do that because he is completely good. To deviate from his will would mean that something outside his plan, outside his character, outside his goodness was being included. And that would contaminate it. I mean, let me explain this. This is important. God never changes his mind. In the, in the, I know the Bible will say that in terms of the way he's working with people. But in terms of his values, in terms of his goals, they do not change. He has a purpose for the human race. And he doesn't change it. What happens is when sin comes along and, and all of this, he will get to that same goal another way. You follow? He's going to have children in the image of his son. He'll get there one way or another. If we all sin, well, now I gotta, 
I got to send my son and he's got to die for you. And I got a whole process of saving uh, for you know, it's, it's very, very painful for me and you. <laughs> but I'll get there. The result is he's going to have his heavenly family. Follow? He never alters. For him to alter his will would be to, alter, to compromise with something that's not his will. Look. Uh, this is an old illustration. I remember them using it with Search for Significance years ago. But on it, it's vivid. You won't forget it either. They said, so if you had a glass of water, you know, this big, beautiful, think of a big, beautiful glass of water, and you handed it to somebody and say, here, have, have, have a drink, you know, and you hand it to them, and they take it, and they're about to drink, and they said, oh, by the way, I just put one drop of sewage in that. <laughs> you can't see it. Go ahead. You, I don't think you can even tell. All of a sudden, that glass of water, which may have looked beautiful, may still look beautiful for the most part. You know, you might see something in there. Um, you don't want to drink it, do you? Well, why not? It's mostly right, mostly good, mostly just pure water, just a little bit of sewage, a real little bit. All of a sudden, you don't want it, do you? That's the way it is with God's will. When his, you want only his will. When it has a little bit of sewage in it, it's contaminated. God cannot compromise in that sense. I, I have whole sermons on his permissive will. I've lived it. <laughs> so there's his permissive will. I understand all that. But the bottom line is, in terms of his goals, in terms of what he seeks, there is a perfect will, and he cannot compromise with that. So if he's going to empower someone, He's going to give his, his gifts and his work. He will give it to certain things. He will give it to a certain kind of heart. He does not just hand his power and his assistant out to everybody. If God were to answer a prayer that is misguided or empower a person who is pursuing their own fleshly desires or confirm a teaching that is distorted, he would, he, he would be helping that person do something harmful to themselves or to someone else. And his goodness does not allow him to do that. The ultimate proof of this is his own son. He gave him great authority because he loved the father and, and quote, did exactly as the father commanded him. During that final evening, as he prepared his disciples for his departure, Jesus made enormous promises. He said his disciples would do greater miracles than he had done. And though I still find that hard to understand, that promise certainly means that God is willing to do amazing things through us. He said the Holy Spirit would come and dwell inside us and teach us all things. He said we would have the same kind of peace of, in, the, in the midst of trials that he had. Remember, my peace I give to you. He said we would bear much fruit, meaning we will help a lot of people find him. That's what fruit means there, not the fruit of the Spirit. When he says you'll bear much fruit in John 15, he's talking about people. You are going to touch a lot of lives. Uh, he said we would be able to ask the Father for anything, and he would give it to us. He said the Father would love us and would invite us to bring our requests directly to him. And he would answer us and fill us with joy. Those are fabulous promises. But let's be honest. We don't often see that kind of authority being expressed. In fact, we may only know a few people who actually fit that description. I mean, think of it. 
you probably know somebody. You say, if I need prayer, that's where I'm going. Do you have, do you have such people? What, what is it about them? It, it, it could be a man or a woman. It could be young or, you know, just, you know, or old. It, it, but there's certain people you go, nah, if I really was in trouble, that's where I go. Something, we do know people uh, with, with, with authority. We just, they, the way they pray, the way they function, there's something different. The promises themselves sound wonderful, but in practice, something seems to be hindering them. There are indeed enough examples of God's power in people's lives today to prove that the promises are valid. How many of you would say, I know that at some point in my life, I know I've seen a miracle from God? Raise your hands. Hold them high. I want you to look around. It's it's virtually everybody, and it was last service too. If, if you say, have you seen a miracle? Yes, I've seen a miracle. You, we, there's things in our lives we can look back to and go, that had to be God. <laughs> I know that was God. Now, have we, all, have we all prayed those prayers and nothing happened? Uh-huh. But we've also seen the miracle. So the problem isn't with the promises or the God who gave them. It must lie with those of us who seldom or never see such promises being answered. And what's the issue then? There, there must be some missing element. But what is it? Thankfully, all we have to do to find the answer is to listen carefully to what Jesus said that evening and to, the answer becomes obvious. To do what Jesus did, we need a heart like Jesus had. Now, I came up with that. And, you, and would you say it with me? To do what Jesus did, we need a heart like Jesus had. That's really important. If I want God to do through me what he wants to do, if I want the authority that God wants to give me, I have to have the same heart. I have to have the same heart that he had. What I'm doing is taking you back to that passage, and I want you to understand exactly what we just read. So Sunday, verse 27. For the past two and a half years, the disciples had watched Jesus remain peaceful in the face of building opposition. Remember verse 27? That's the one he says, my peace I give to you. The nation's most powerful religious leaders had determined to kill him, yet he maintained his course, performed his ministry, and spoke uncompromising truth. What was his secret? Where did he find such peace? It came from knowing that he was doing exactly what the Father had commanded him to do. And therefore, the opposition he faced was pr the predictable result of that obedience. At its root, the peace Jesus experienced was peace with God. So when he said, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, he was not promising them a trouble-free life. His own had been filled with trouble. But he was promising them that if they would follow his example they would and would obey him as he had obeyed the Father they too would remain unshaken and fearless as they walked through the trials that lay ahead. Is that un understandable? He, he, he's not saying, I, you're not going to have anything bother you. He's going to say, my peace, the one I have, the one I live with, and you've watched me for two and a half years getting all sorts of assaults and difficulties, but you've watched me remain basically unshaken. And I say basically because there are moments where he says, my soul is shaken within me. And we are about to see him go to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he, he, it's not like he doesn't suffer uh, with us. But he's walked through with a great deal of peace. What is that? The peace that knows I have obeyed God. You know, come on. You know what this is like. You know when you're doing the right thing. 
You know, you're doing what God told you. And then there's the, the backlash, the trouble. It, and in this case, it's not your fault. <laughs> now, we all have troubles that are our fault. I caused that. My own stupidity produced that. There's no peace in that. But when I'm in a situation and they're getting blowback, but I did the right thing. I, I, I didn't do the wrong thing. And this is simply what happens when you do the right thing. There's a peace inside, an unshakability, a firmness to it. And that's the peace he's promising us. You follow me, you obey me. You'll go through anything and you'll be unshaken. His peace came from an inner confidence that he was fulfilling an assignment. And that God was pleased with him. And that is very different source of peace than the peace which the world gives. The world gives its peace to those who will submit to its values and follow its ways. So Jesus made a distinction between his peace and the world's. He said, not in like manner as the world gives do I give to you. The world doesn't oppose those who live by its standards and pursue its goals. It generally celebrates such people. They find peace by achieving a, a level of acceptance, safety, comfort, and personal fulfillment for at least a time. But they know nothing of the inner peace with God that Jesus was promising to his disciples. Then Jesus comforted his disciples with these words. Do not let your heart be troubled, shaken, nor let it be afraid. Literally, the word he uses is terrified. You, you heard that I told you, I depart and I come to you. His, approach, his approaching departure, whether by means of being arrested and crucified, or by means of his ascension into heaven, should not alarm them because he would return spiritually and be with them. And then he asked them to look at the situation from his perspective. If they really loved him, they should be glad for him. He said, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I am going to the Father. Yes, he was about to undergo 24 hours of horrific abuse, but God would use that suffering to vindicate Jesus. By enduring the cross, he would prove to the world his love for the Father. And by the resurrection, the Father would prove to the world his son's righteousness. Do you understand? Jesus says, I'm going. And he's talking about all that's ahead of him. I'm leaving this whole, and I'm going to the cross. And he, and he said, if, if, you if you really loved me, if you understood, you would rejoice that I do this. And you think, what's, what's to rejoice? Number one, they had been accusing him of blasphemy, of making himself equal with God. Recall that, it's in here. I, I'm, uh, I've got the verse for you if you, if you don't. He, they, they've been accusing him of all sorts of things, of, of, of blaspheming the way he treated the Sabbath, all these things. And he says, when I go to the cross, when the, the world will watch, and the, the world will know how much I love the Father. Now think of it. He is about to go, within, within hours, he, he's going to go across that Kidron Valley and wait for Judas to arrive with the police to arrest him. And he knows what's going to be done for him. And, and, and Isaiah says he, he submitted to the abuse like, like, a, like a sheep, a, a ewe sheep submits to the shearers, or like a lamb to the slaughter. And he submitted without raising his voice. He let them arrest him. Think of it. When they put him on the cross and nailed him, he did not curse them. He did not scream his innocence. He did not do any of that, did he? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what way they do. The cross just, the cross proves beyond a shadow of a doubt his complete submission to the will of the Father. Right? He says, the world's going to see 
my heart. And secondly, when the Father raises me from the dead, the Father's going to declare me innocent and righteous. The whole world will see who I am. Amen? Yeah, so he says, you ought to, you ought to rejoice. And there's, there's one more thing. <clears throat> Above all, they should rejoice because he was going home. <laughs> he was returning to the glory he had with the Father before the world was. Jesus had boldly declared his preexistence and divinity. He had regularly announced that he had come from heaven and would return to heaven. But while acknowledging his own glory, he never sought to diminish the glory due the Father. He told his disciples that they should rejoice because he was returning to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. He was reminding them that the Father is the source of all things. It was he who begot the Son. And what Jesus had come to do was not supplant the Father, but to open the way for sinful people to become his children. Because of the cross and resurrection, we who believe in Jesus are able to bring our requests directly to the Father. The relationship between Jesus and, and the Father, we can get it all muddied in this kind of thing. You say, well, he's God, so he's equal with him. And so it's, and you begin to think, you, you end up with, with three different competing personalities. That is not what the Bible presents. Jesus, Jesus says the Father is greater than I. Does he mean he's more divine than I am? No. I'm a father. I mean, this is not complicated. My children are as fully human, as fully capable than I am. I mean, there's no difference in our nature, right? So Jesus is as divine as his father. He has the glory of his father. He has the powers of his father. And yet, here's what we don't understand. Here's what we, particularly in the West, miss. There is a place of authority. There's a, place, a role of respect that goes to a father. There, and, and the father is the son's source. I mean, if I understand father and son, that's what that means. The father begot his son. And so Jesus says, Jesus never competes with the father. He never tries to pull the, the, our, our, our love and glory away from the father. He wants us to follow him, love him. He becomes the head of, our, of the church. He, uh, and the father turns around and says, I want the whole world to submit my son. Because of his humble heart, I want you to submit to him and love him and follow him. But in all of it, Jesus then offers it all back to the father. There is no competition between the father and the son. There is no striving for a position. The Father's the Father. Amen? Amen? Jesus will say, I go to my God and your God. <laughs> I mean, he just, it just, there's just no problem here. And yet he is the divine Son of God, who preexisted from forever and came and became a man. I got more to say on that. What was about to happen to Jesus would shake the disciples' faith unless they realized that it was all part of God's plan. So Jesus said, and now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. In other words, when you watch these events unfold, remember that I told you that these, were, these things were going to happen. Over and over again, I've warned you that I would be arrested, brutally treated, crucified, and buried. So when those things take place, don't let your faith be shaken. My sufferings are not an indication that the Father has rejected me or has failed to protect me. You will be watching the fulfillment of prophecy, so let it build your faith, not undermine it. Friday. Their time together was almost at an end. 
Even as Jesus spoke those words, Judas Iscariot was likely guiding the religious authorities back to the upper room. Remember, in the middle of the Passover meal, he left. It's when Jesus offered him the sop and the whole, the sop, I hate that term, but, but you know, the, the, the wafer with the bitter herbs on it. And he left. So Jesus said the, the devil, the ruler of the world, he said, is, is coming. Through evil men, he would attack Jesus with a fury, but he would not be able to cause Jesus to stumble because, as Jesus said, he has nothing in me. There was no sin in Jesus, nothing that would give the devil any authority over him. He would willingly submit to the cross because it was the Father's will. But the devil had no power to kill him, nor could death hold him in the grave. He was giving his life as a gift. It was not being taken from him. He, he says, the rule of the world is coming but he has nothing in me. There is no sin. There's no handles. There's nothing he or death can get a hold of. I am offering my life. Verse 31. He would do exactly what the Father commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. He had been accused of being blasphemous toward God, declaring that he was his son, but the complete submission in his heart toward the Father would soon be evident to all as he humbly endured the events that awaited him. And then the father himself would prove to the world that his son was righteous by resurrecting him from the dead. This is interesting. Hang on. Knowing that Judas would lead the temple police back to the place where he had left them, Jesus said, Arise, let us go from here. The upper room in which they had celebrated Passover was likely somewhere in the city of David. Now, the city of David is that, that the lower, poorer, older part of town uh, that runs the temple is on top there, and, it, and then the city of David runs right on down. They're excavating it right now. In fact, they just found the road. I mean, I haven't even seen this yet. They just found the very Roman road that ran from the, from the Pool of Siloam right up to the temple, straight through the city of David. I mean, serious. Marble, the gutters, uh, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> on I, I can hardly wait to see this. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. I, I, they just, I mean, it's all there. Anyway, so somewhere in that place, right in there, it's where they are. Enough time had elapsed, because Judas has been gone now for a bit, that his captors would be arriving at any moment. But Jesus wasn't through. He had more to teach his disciples, and he wanted to pray over them. So before Judas arrived, they left the upper room and walked eastward toward the Mount of Olives. But somewhere along the way, Jesus stopped. Well, how do I know? Wait. Chapter 15 and 16 and, and, and 17 are still to be spoken and prayed. And there was, a, it was, the streets would have been empty on a Passover night, so the, this town is absolutely silent. And there was a full moon. There always is on Passover. So you've got a full moon. It's a lighted street. We're not told where he stopped, but given the fact that he immediately started teaching using the illustration of a grapevine and its branches, it may have been a vineyard along the way. Even to this day, the Kidron Valley, which he was passing over, is terraced and has crops growing on its steep sides. When he was finished, he would cross the ravine and wait in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that Judas would look there, not look there next because it had often been their campsite. Just sorry, the story goes together, doesn't it? So he says, Arise, let's go. And then they go out into the night. Somewhere along the way, they stop, and he finishes this teaching. He's not done. See, he's not arrested till he wants to be. <laughs> this, he's not trapped. He's no victim. He knows exactly where Judas has gone. 
He told him, go do it quickly. So Judas is on his way, got out of the room, and he's finished his teaching. And now he says, we need to leave. So come on, everybody. So off they go, just out into the night, and sit somewhere. So Judas would have brought the temple police, undoubtedly, first of all, to that very place, the upper room where they were. And by the way, the, upper, the owner of that upper room is, um, this is, uh, her, na- her name was, is Mary, and she's the mother of, of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And an interesting thing, Mark, put, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's just fun. <laughs> Jesus will go, uh, I have, no doubt, the, the temple police came first of all there. He's gone, but John Mark's upstairs sleeping. And Here's the grappling at the door as the soldiers, you know, open up. You know, they're, they're going to arrest him. And John Mark hears this, wraps the sheet around him, and knows where they are, where they're going. So John Mark runs the long way around to get to the Garden of Gethsemane to warn Jesus. When they're not there, Judas knows the next place he's go- they're going to go look. And that will be the Gethsemane. And so the police go straight down, the, straight across the streets, up, up, over across. You, I'm sure Jesus could watch them coming with their torches. I mean, the way it's shaped, you just watch the torches coming. But John Mark's running with a sheet around him. And, and he's trying to warn Jesus, they're coming for you, they're coming for you. And remember this? And a man ran up naked with just a sheet around him. And you think, and that's in the Gospel of Mark. Mark put himself in there. It's one of those, you know, where's Waldo? You know, he, 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 that's me. I did that. But of course, he didn't put his name on that. Who would, you know? But he ran to warn his Lord. He ran to warn him. Hey, man. Anyway, by the way, uh, Barnabas is his uncle. All right. He is. Created for authority. Here we go. Now the sermon. You got your teaching. I crammed everything into your brains I think you'll tolerate. Created for authority. God is a ge- very generous God. No sooner had he created the first humans than he gave them authority over the world he had made. Listen. Then God said, let us make man in our image according, and a- according to our likeness. Now notice the difference. Image means we are spirit. You have been made. When, when you're conceived in your mother's womb, you become an e- immortal spirit. Spirits can't die. So you, as a person, you, you come, it's like lighting a fire, you exist, and you will exist forever. You are spirit. But, but likeness means we were made initially pure. We were made holy. We, 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 we were made without sin. We were made with God's character put in us. And then like, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them do what? Look at it. Rule. Somebody say rule. There you are. God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him male and female. So when, when God uses the word man, he's talking about men and women, both of which made in his image, made as full spirit, made in his likeness. Same thing for both male and female. God created uh, them. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? There you go. Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. David celebrated God's generosity in Psalm 8. 
He marveled over God's original purpose for humans. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man, men and women, what is man that you take thought of him, and son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than, and I gave you the NASB, what does it say? Than God. Now, King James, out of piety, out of, in other words, out of just trying to be humble, put in angels. Made him a little lower than the angels. Uh, but the Hebrew is absolutely clear. I give you the word, Elohim. And there's no missing what that means. You made him a little lower than Elohim. Wow. God made humans a little lower than himself, is what it says. And you crowned him with glory and majesty, and you made him rule over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. As we all know, the original purpose, that, that original purpose, God's plan to give great authority to humans, was lost. But we need to remember why it was lost. Humans forfeited the right to use God's authority because they refused to submit to his will. Isn't that the whole issue? Who's going to decide right from wrong? Take the fruit off the tree? I will. Put the fruit back on the tree? He does. And in that rebellion, the authority was taken away. Yet over the course of history, whenever individuals did submit again to his will, at least some measure of that authority was restored. The Bible records numerous examples of leaders and prophets who were given remarkable powers. Some would prophesy and what they spoke came to pass. I mean, one guy says, no rain for three and a half years. And boom, there's no rain for three and a half years. I call that authority. Some would prophesy and what they spoke came to pass. Some would speak a command and a miracle would take place. Their heartfelt submission to God allowed him to give them some of the authority he originally intended for humans. Now, the perfect man. Jesus is the divine Son of God. He existed in heaven before coming to earth. But when he became a man, he laid aside the privileges and glory that were his in heaven. Jesus existed. We, I mean, we're not from the beginning, is what we're told. The Father begot his Son from the beginning. Jesus was spirit. He had all the worship, all the glory. Uh, as the, as the uh, glorious son of God. Uh, he had all of that. And the Bible says he did not count it robbery to be equal with God. So in his nature, it was not, it was not wrong for him in any way to, to be equal with God in all that he is. But he says he humbly laid aside, like he, a man takes off a coat and lays it aside. He laid aside those privileges and became one of us. He deliberately put it aside. Now, a person can't change their spirit. We are spirit. So Jesus couldn't leave his divine spirit in heaven. It was his spirit that came to earth and became miraculously conceived in Mary. It was his spirit that was joined to human flesh. The man Jesus became body, soul, and spirit, just as you and I are body, soul, and spirit. Only in his case, his spirit is divine and eternal. 
while yours and mine began when we were conceived in our mother's womb. When he became a man, he became as, as, as genuinely human as you are. He became one of us. Only my spirit began in my mother's womb. His came from heaven. Does that, you understand this? I'm talking to your spirit right now. You are your spirit. So when he became a man, how does he forget heaven? How can he forget who he is? Do his powers disappear if you're the divinest son of God? The answer is no. He chose not to draw on them. He had to lay them aside. The very temptation in the wilderness. Remember what that was? There he is in the wilderness. He's been 40 days without food. I mean, he, that's at the point of death in any natural sense. He's 40 days without food. And the devil comes along and says, since you are the son of God, he knows exactly who he is, and you're hungry, why don't you just speak to that rock and turn it into a loaf of bread? You can do it. Come on, you know you can do it. Could he? Boom. And he's got French bread, and it's warm, and it's, <laughs> you know, sourdough. Turn that rock into a little hummus, and we're off and rolling. Can he do that? Yes, he can. What's wrong? The minute he does, he ceases to be our perfect sacrifice. Of course God can come down and not sin. Of course God can come down and do things. Of course God can resist things. No problem. It's us in our weakness. And the Bible says he had to become like us in all things, that he might be tempted like us and tested. In fact, I would argue he's tempted far worse than us. Most of us cave into the temptation way early. He didn't take cave in at all. Just picture that. You know those temptations where you're just hanging on for dear life. You cave in. He didn't. He endured the whole savage temptation right on through to the end and refused to submit to it. I mean, he was tempted in all ways like as we. What did he do then? How did he do that? He refused that knowledge. He refused that power. He only worked in his, in his, in his uh, position as a, as a man. The man, Jesus, became body, soul, and spirit. To become our sacrifice, Jesus had to become a man to be tempted in all things as we are. For that to happen, Jesus couldn't rid himself of his divine knowledge and power. Those elements belong to his spirit. They come with being who he is. But to become one of us, he had to refuse to draw on his divine powers, which he did completely. So when we watch Jesus minister, we are watching a totally submitted human being exercising the authority that God is willing to give to, a human, to human beings who are totally submitted to him. I know I stretched that out, but did you follow it? We are, we are not watching when we see Jesus do his miracles and exercise his authority. You're not watching God's son coming down and kind of you know, doing stuff. He could, but he didn't. You are watching the man Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit at the Jordan River doing what he sees the Father do and speaking what he hears the Father speak. You are watching what a completely submitted human being can do what God will do. You're watching our example, which changes the whole thing, doesn't it? 
Now you can't just go, boy, he's cool. You have to go, man, he challenges me. Is that what we're capable of? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? We can, we can do what he does? That level of authority is so amazing that our natural response is to say, well, that's ridiculous. I could never do the kind of wonders Jesus did. You would think we were presuming way too much until we hear Jesus say something like this. Read this with me out loud. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. I mean, he makes it worse. Doesn't he? He says, not only will you do what I do, you're going to do more. Come on. And I still don't know how to process that. Raising somebody who's four days dead, walking on water, or turning 160 gallons of water into wine, I'm, I'm not in that league. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I still don't know what he means. I hope it means more th things, but I don't know how to process it. But that's his fault. <laughs> he said that. I did not. Or, or this. Read this with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Or this. Read it out with, with me. On that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Notice Jesus speaks of us asking the Father for something in Jesus' name. To do something in someone else's name means you are their servant. You say or do something because that person told you to do or say it. They sent you on a mission as their representative. So to appear before the Father and ask him for something in Jesus' name means we are asking him to help us carry out an assignment Jesus gave us. It indicates that we are submitted to the Son, who is submitted to the Father. So we are asking for something that's in God's perfect will. When we do that, when we come before the Father with a heart like Jesus' heart, then the Father can give us what we are asking for and work through us as powerfully as he worked through Jesus. A love for God combined with a submitted attitude, combined with an aggressive attempt to discover his will and obey it. Notice that last phrase. Not just, you can't just, it's, it, there's, a, there's an aggressiveness to this people. A love for God, a submitted attitude, but an aggressive attempt to discover his will and obey it is what it means to be Jesus' disciple. And it was to his disciples and them only that all these promises were made. You go in my drawer and you find my checkbook. It's my checkbook. It's got my name on it. It's got my account. I can write my name on that puppy and give it to people and it pays bills. It does stuff. Uh, if you took my checkbook and you tried writing your name on it, hopefully they would not cash it. There's insurance for stuff like that, but uh, they're not supposed to. It's, it, that's my checkbook. Those promises are not blank checks that God's just handing out to anyone. And you've even heard it taken in rather a flippant way. It says, see, if, if you believe in me. So are you a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. You know? Okay, well, here, go. And so if you're a believer, so people are taking checks out of, out of, out of Jesus' checkbook, and they're, and they're writing anything they want on it. 
And then they sign in, in Jesus' name. They, here. And it doesn't work, does it? And then we think, oh, well, I guess those promises don't work. No, 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 no. They're not your checks, if that's the attitude. Those checks belong to disciples, to men and women who said, Lord, you're my Lord. Jesus says, as I follow the Father, as I've been in the Father, doing what he says, speaking what I hear, you do that with me now. You do what I say. You, you listen to what I speak. You follow me. And when you come to the Father and say, my, and say he sent me. I'm on an assignment, God. If I'm going to do this, I need a miracle here. The Father will always answer you. You follow this? Now, I'm going to tell you, if you think about it in your own life, you, it works. You can think about those prayers that you've asked and you, you wanted them. They're not always bad things or anything. But it was just things we just gave it a shot. And then there are the things where you know what he told you to do. And you know you needed him. And you say, God, I can't do what you're asking me to do if you don't do this. And you have watched miracles. And those are your testimony stories. Those are those moments when it's like, wow. I can't believe what he just did. He opened doors nobody could open. He shut doors nobody could shut. He, he provided something that just shouldn't have been there. I don't know how that happened. Haven't you got stories like that? It happens where we are lined up like that. Here's the danger of it about all. If you, don't, you and I don't understand what we've just said, that those promises belong to, the, to that heart like Jesus, that they were, they were his gift to his disciples, their empowerment for them to do as he has done. If we take it out of that context and make them blank checks and just go throwing them around glibly and try them, they won't work. They don't work. And then, and then people think, ah, oh, well, I guess these promises don't mean anything. No, 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 yes, they do. They mean everything they said in the context in which they were spoken. Many people have tested these promises and to, and to have, them fail, and have them fail. They prayed a prayer and, and then said the words in Jesus' name and waited to see what would happen. But nothing did. The danger in that is that they may conclude that these promises don't work. They might think to themselves, those promises sound good, but nothing happens when you try to use one. But the problem is these promises only work for certain people. They weren't intended for everyone. They're a gift from God to those who really love him. They provide the authority they'll need to carry out his will. And look, when you and I get to know him, we're not afraid of his will. You know, that, that can be kind of one of those vague things. Well, I don't know what's God's will. And I mean, read the Bible. You'll find out. Uh, the, his will is not a mystery. Who he is is not a mystery. And then he will lead you by the Spirit. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you'll learn if you aggressively want to. If you step into it, you will learn. He will teach you. You will hear his voice. I think he already spoke to me about something this morning. I wasn't even looking for this. Had no up. Boom, do this. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. You'll hear. You'll learn to walk in that. This is something that your spirit, you're as much, you're as much spirit as I am. You're as much spirit as anybody is. Don't say you can't do this. You are spirit. You've got no choice. It's the way you're made. Of course you can. You just haven't learned. You start walking in those things. You start obeying those things. All suddenly, you are now carrying out his will. And you watch the promises work. To receive these promises, a person does not have to be perfect or sinless. 
They are not a reward for good behavior. That, I'm going to say that one again. This is not, oh, I've been really good this week, so maybe he'll answer my prayers. That's a completely different thing. That is a wrong approach. They are not a reward for good behavior. They're a reward for submitted heart. God's criteria is really quite simple. He gives authority to people he can trust. In other words, to people who are becoming like Jesus. People with a heart like that not only believe what the Bible says about Jesus, they actively seek a relationship with him. They, they read the Bible regularly and try to let God speak to them through what they're reading. They, they pray brief prayers throughout the day as different situations arise. They ask God for guidance and help and then watch to see how God will answer their prayer. They are Jesus' followers. People who are trying to obey him and become like him. And it is to people like that, that the Father gives great authority. In a letter John wrote years later, he expressed this truth beautifully. Listen, would you read it with me? This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Can you hear the old disciple recalling his Lord's words in that upper room on that night? He's virtually paraphrasing what he heard. He says, if we ask according to his will. By the way, if you don't have that verse, those, those two verses memorized, I would highly recommend go do it today. Just those, those are, I, I, I live on those two. I mean, those are really important ones. They, they're constantly coming back to me. If, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petition which we ask of him. And, and you say, well, how do I know it's his will? Figure it out. I'm serious. Just check it out. Ask him. Pursue it. Don't, don't go leaping into your prayers until you have settled that. If you really don't know, then figure it out. But when you, he, when you, when you sense his will, and it's always by faith, this is his will. I believe, God, this is your will. When I know what I ask according to your will, I know you hear me. Why? I go right into the throne room of the Father. Jesus says, because of me, you walk right to your Father's knee and you ask what you want. And he will give it to you. He, he loves you, he says, because you love me. So you go right on into the throne room. Now, people, if we understand the level of authority we've been given... We can move mountains. Can we? Can, can we begin to lock into the will of God and begin to pray with this kind of authority and, and see a nation turn? Or is that just too big? I actually think we can. And I think you and I need to get a hold of what's been said here. Because these are, these are remarkable promises. And you and I, if we begin to believe these things, can begin to pray about our state, our cities, our, our families. We can pray about situations that are going on and say, God, uh, you know, as he shows us his wills. In fact, when you pray, one of the ways you'll learn to pray is you'll learn to pray prophetically. He will show you what he wants you to pray for. You start nailing those things that he says. Pray for this, pray for this, pray for this. You start standing for that. And then you suddenly watch things begin to turn. God works organically. He's not a magician. He doesn't go, tink. He, 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 he knows how to move whole societies. He knows how to move leaders. He turns their hearts like he does the water courses. He changes things. And we should not be frightened. 
My peace I leave with you, he says. Don't be afraid. You walk in these things. You walk boldly in these things. And, you, and, and you, we can change the course of things. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, what, what amazing promises you have given us. We marvel at them. And we choose this day, as we stand before you, to be followers, not people who simply mentally believe we choose to be your disciples. We want the will of the Father in our lives. We want to be men and women who do and what you, we see you doing and speak what we hear you speaking. We want to walk in, as you walked with your Father. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the authority you have given to us. We were created for authority and you are restoring to us God's original purpose. We honor you and we bless you for that, Lord. Teach us to turn away from fear, to turn away from sorrow and negativity, to watch what God is doing and boldly pray our way into it. Oh God, we reorient our lives this day. You can do anything. And you have offered us checkbook and said, you come in my name, and, and I'll sign it. Lord God, teach us to be bold in our prayers. Teach us to stand in faith. Teach us to pray through till we see breakthrough. Blessed be the Lord who's promised us and restored our authority. We receive it now and believe it in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with my prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.